Good morning and welcome to New, New Hope Baptist Church. Nearly missed my cue. It's good to be here this morning and to be celebrating and to be uh, learning from God together. And welcome to our Croydon campus and to those who are joining us online. Uh, this morning we begin a new teaching series and the theme, the big idea, is this word inspired. It's, it's a wonderful thing to feel inspired like you've been lifted, like you've been energized, like you've been elevated, like you've been in some way empowered. And, and we experience it in things around us. We'll listen to something and think, whoa, that was an inspired piece of music or talk or uh, idea. We'll see it in people's actions, and it engages us. The world needs inspired people. And this concept of being inspired has some deeply... Christian undertones. In fact, I, I reckon it has some profoundly uh, spiritual uh, underpinnings that we're going to reflect on in these coming weeks together. Uh, for your sake and for the world's sake, be inspired. The world needs inspired people. Let me read to you from the Gospel of John. I'm going to read words from uh, very near the end of, jo of uh, Jesus' ministry. It's after his death, uh, during that season when, as the resurrected Lord, he taught his disciples. He appears to them on the first day of the week, uh, and he teaches them. And so it's John chapter 20, and I'm reading from verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, and the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord, an encouragement and a challenge and an inspiration to us this morning. What do I mean by being inspired? Well, I mean something peculiarly Christian. I mean something decisively uh, related to what's in this passage, and it's right there in the, that uh, 22nd verse. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive 
the Holy Spirit. To be inspired is the opposite of expiring. If somebody expires, what's happened? No more breath, no more life. If someone is inspired, life has gone into them. Breath has gone into them. And this language is still very much alive in our casual communication. We'll say things like, he gave up the ghost. Strange expression. Unless you think of yourself as possessing the Holy Ghost as an aspect of your very living. Here's the risen Jesus in a room, which has been locked, by the way, because they're scared to death of the authorities, appearing, not with a, with a key, but just appearing in the room and speaking peace to his disciples, evoking joy in their hearts, and then breathing on them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The very words that are used here in John chapter 20 mirror words that are used in Genesis chapter 2. You may recall a narrative from the opening chapters of the Bible in which God in his creative activity forms the whole of the heavens and the earth, and then in his last act of glorious creation, he takes some clay and he forms a human being, and what does he do? He breathes into that clay, and that becomes a living being, a human person. It's, it's that narrative that stands behind this action. It's that picture that is being paralleled here in John's gospel. And Jesus is saying in a very powerful way to his disciples, you are now to be new creations. We're starting over. I want you to think of yourself as being made anew because of the death and resurrection that Jesus has just uh, walked through and that they are now witness to. I want you to experience your life as a fresh remaking. Paul will actually use that image later when he talks to his churches about what it is to be an inspiring person, an inspired person, someone who is a new creation. And this is the way we are to think of ourselves. For your own sake, be inspired. Let the living God breathe new life into your very self. It's a powerful image. The emotions in this little encounter with Jesus are quite rich and beautiful. Two big ideas, peace and joy. Peace in its fullest, richest sense and joy that just overflows. It, it, it overwhelms them. And those are the emotions that human beings are meant to live with. There's a whole lot of other emotions that conflict, a whole lot of other things that we experience that are profound challenge to us. But if you go back to Genesis, those early chapters, from the moment that God breathed into us the very gift of life until the moment of human rebellion, the experience in that context was peace and joy. And that is what we are meant to experience. That is what the Spirit of the living God wants to bring into our lives and into our, our everyday 
journey. Peace is a very big concept in the Scripture. It's not just the end of a war. It's, it's, it's every good thing from God. It's a kind of fullness. It's that experience that you have in fleeting moments, you know, where you sit someplace and the temperature is just right. And the vision in front of you is just perfect. And you feel just satisfied. Not too full, not too empty. You've just recently enjoyed something beautiful. And the thing that is most immediately in front of you is something that you cannot wait to do. And you're not thinking about any of the worries or any of the pressures or any of the anxieties. You, you, you feel at peace with yourself and with your, with your friends and with the creation itself. There's a kind of a wholeness, a kind of a well-being that's deep and rich. The more I talk about it, the more it seems like a fairy tale. And it is the thing that God purposes for each of us. And it has something to do, it has something to do with God's amazing spirit breathing freshly into us. Imagine if you could have a reboot like that. If you could have your clay form recharged with the spirit of the living God. That's what's being promised here. That's what's being promised. You can go back to the factory and be rejuiced. You can be re-energized. You can be recreated, inspired, breathed into by God. There's joy when the disciples see Jesus, overwhelming joy. Uh, joy because he is their friend, joy because this is death conquered, joy because they don't even know what this means, joy because there's, there's possibilities that they didn't even imagine. And this kind of, of experience is what God wants for us. It's what Jesus declares, peace, what he offers, joy, and what our lives need. And it almost seems too good to be true. For your sake, be inspired. For your sake, welcome whatever this is about. We're going to be talking about this for uh, about 13 weeks, actually. As this series unfolds, we're going to talk more about what it means to, to know this Spirit of the living God, to walk in the way of the Spirit, to welcome these truths into our lives. And for your sake, welcome this. Open your heart and your life to this. Because there's something amazing that God does in the hearts of these disciples as you read through the book of Acts. You, you, you'll, you'll see it. How they become calmer and how they become more, more filled with, with the emotions of, of kind of settled pleasure. A, a kind of a deep joy. Their life doesn't get easy. It gets hard, actually. But they just become calmer and more joy-filled. That's what the world needs. That's what every household needs. That's what, that's what every, every teenage cohort needs, is parents who know how to be calm and living in pleasure. And, by the way, teens, it's what all parents need is teens that know how to be calm and filled with pleasure. Imagine that. Home that is just marked by peace and joy. It's what every workplace needs. 
is for the shareholders to be calm and for the employees to be filled with joy. It's what every political environment needs. It's what every uh, economic uh, enterprise requires. It's what our whole world needs. For your sake, be inspired. For your sake, welcome what this text is on about. For the sake of peace and joy in you and around you, let God breathe on you. For your sake and the world's, be inspired. This text goes on. It, Jesus says to the disciples, peace be with you. I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, now, when you forgive sins, their sins will be forgiven. And those whose sins you do not forgive, they will not be forgiven. And that, I just don't know what to do with. Do you? What a sentence. Whenever you run into something in the Bible that sounds dangerous, it's important. And that sentence sounds dangerous. Imagine saying to other people, right, you get to forgive or not forgive. It's up to you now. Is that going to make the world a better place? It makes me nervous. This phrase was actually, uh, it, it appears in, in a slightly different form in Matthew's gospel on two occasions. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 16, Jesus speaking again, he says, I will give you, he's talking to Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's a very similar idea, very similar construct and similar uh, expressions. And then in Matthew 18, uh, verse 18, Jesus says the same thing again about loosing and binding in heaven and earth to all the disciples. This strange language about loosing and binding people, about remitting and retaining sins, is language that would have made sense in the first century in the context of the rabbis, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and their religious rules and order. They were the ones who got to adjudicate. They were the ones who got to legislate what was right and wrong, who was right and wrong. They were the ones who made up the laws that bound you or set you free. And they were the ones who adjudicated whether you were guilty of breaking that law and your sins would be retained, or whether you were innocent of breaking a law and your sins would be remitted. They were the ones who had the legislative and judicial power in the nation. And so that's, that's the context of all of this. And Jesus is saying, rather astonishingly, that that now belongs to the followers of Jesus. The judiciary and the legislature belong to the followers of Jesus. So what would happen in the context of Israel's history is if there was a situation that was uncertain, well, the religious leaders would meet and they would try to work out it. so this new thing that's happening. Do we have a law for that? I don't think we do. We better make a law for that. Well, um, under what circumstance should we bind somebody? Well, if they do A, B, and C, that would be, we'll, we, no, no, you can't do that. We'll bind you up relative to that. If you do C and D, well, you'll be free. We'll loose you relative to that. And it's this, it's this imagery of being bound up and free relative to the law. Do you see it? 
Uh, we still experience it today. We still experience it today. You run a company, you run a business, you, you, you look at something in the books and you think, oh my goodness, now I don't know. Somebody better call the tax office and we will get a ruling on this. And then you wait to see if you will be bound or loosed. And it makes a world of difference. You wait to see if they will rule and say, no, 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 your case doesn't, it doesn't fit in that, in that law. You're, you're fine. Go ahead and do that. That's great. Make more money. Or they will say to you, oh, no, 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 no. We got a rule about that. You can't do that without paying us a lot more money. And you feel bound. Um, think about the, the city council. You want to do something on your property. You need to go and ask. And you need to see where the laws are and walk relative to them. That's the legislative process, the setting up of the laws and determining what binds you and what frees you. And then there's the judicial process, the, the remitting or retaining of sins. That's not when you call the tax office. That's when the tax office calls you. That's when the tax office calls you and they say, we've been going over your books. There's a problem here. We need to come and lean into your world and do a careful analysis. We need to tear your books apart to see whether or not your sins will be retained, meaning we're going to hold you accountable. There will be consequences to pay, or your sins will be remitted, forgiven. On this occasion, we'll, this will just be a warning. Even the airlines do this. Have you gone recently with a suitcase that's 8K and tried to get on an airplane when they say it needs to be 7K? I, I did that just recently. Seriously, my, my suitcase was 7.9K. And, and, and she said, we'll call it education. <laughs> my sins were remitted. She had the power to forgive me. This kind of power exists everywhere in the culture. And it tends to be about power plays, and it tends to be about putting people in their place, and it tends to be about who's going to be on top. And Jesus says to his disciples, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and the whole system are going to go on making laws. They're going to go on adjudicating people's lives, but it has nothing to do with what's going on in heaven. What you bind and loose relates directly to heaven's interests on earth. What you say about the sins of human beings is what will matter most in the culture from now forward. You're going to be the voice of justice. You're going to be the arbitrators of God's good purposes. You're going to walk in mercy. You're going to work on justice. And you're going to be humble as you do it. And this is astonishing. It's absolutely astonishing. Are you up for this? Because Jesus is saying that our job as his followers is to lean into other people's sins. Now, there's three things that are very different about the way the followers of Jesus do this and the way the Sanhedrin did this. In the first instance, we are sent, whereas the Sanhedrin waited until you came. They sat in their court, they sent their hitmen out to arrest you and bring you in, and they adjudicated your case in their court. That's what happened to Jesus. They brought him in. They weighed up the issues. 
They decided what would be done with his behavior, whether he would be set free or not. They sat in judgment of him. Now, Jesus says, for we as his followers, it's going to work very differently. We don't pull people in and judge them. We go out to them and lean into their messy worlds and have something to say about the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of the world. Here's the second difference. You're not going to do this with a massive set of law books. You're going to do this with my spirit. It is spirit and truth, not black letter law. It is my breath in you, my wisdom in you, my life in you that's going to motivate this whole exercise. And here's the third big difference. You're not going to do this according to your best insight and your best wisdom, working out who you would like to forgive and who you would not like to forgive. You're going to do this in the light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're going to declare what God has done. You're going to tell people where the whole sin thing sits in the universe now, which is so different as you come to understand what the cross of Jesus means, what the resurrection of Jesus means, what the kingdom promise of God means. So when Jesus says to them, I'm sending you out as the Father sent me, and you're going to go and mess in people's lives and push right into their sins, he is saying, you get to be people who bring justice in this world. And you do it by going, not by setting up law courts. You do it in the spirit, not by carrying a law book. And you do it by declaring the cross and resurrection of Jesus, not your best opinions, which changes everything. It changes everything. We get to speak into people's lives the forgiving hope of Jesus Christ. And if they reject it, if they push back, our job is to simply keep declaring, to simply keep offering God's amazing love. That mandate, that mission, that calling is absolutely enormous. It should scare you a little bit. It should excite you a little bit. It should cause you to wonder just a little bit. Because if you've heard me rightly, let me repeat, Jesus says, go get yourself involved in other people's sins. Get right in there. Push yourself right into the messy, broken places of other people's lives. Don't wait till somebody arrests them, brings them into your court, and sit on the high bench with your law books open. Go into their world where things are broken and messy and speak the truth of God by His Spirit and speak the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and offer the claims of resurrection and speak a hope and a promise that nobody, nobody would believe until they are breathed upon by God, until the, the wonder of the power of God begins to take hold in their hearts and in their lives. That you are truly forgiven, that your life is truly redeemed, and that you will truly live again. This is inspiration. This is astonishing inspiration. Be inspired. For your sake... And for the world's sake, let God breathe on you. 
Let the Spirit of the living God take captive your soul. Let God's incredible Holy Spirit so infuse Himself into yourself that there's a kind of peace, there's a kind of joy, there's a kind of character development, there's a kind of Christ alignment that's almost otherworldly happening in you. It's, it's, it's a new creation. It's a reboot. You get to have your clay re-spirited. I mean, that is just astonishing. That's the promise. And, and for the world's sake, you, you, you are commissioned by Jesus, sent by Him, to go where no court has gone before. You are sent by Him to go where, where, where naturally people don't want to go into the broken places of life because you have the most inspiring, hope-filled message. Because you have the gift of Jesus to declare. Because you have the hope of the gospel. All right, let me finish with this. We're going to keep talking about this theme for a few weeks, so I don't have to give you everything this morning. It'll keep coming, it'll keep coming. But the challenge is to be inspired. It is to let God breathe on you. I've been reading a wonderful book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a lecturer of some repute at Harvard Divinity School. And he was published, he was traveling the world, he was telling people how to um, put the constructs of theology together, how to answer the big questions, how to, you know, how, to, how to discern and describe Christian experience. He went off to a, a conference somewhere and sat with somebody in their office and saw an incredible painting uh, by Rembrandt of the prodigal son. And the painting is on the front of the book, and we'll put it up on the screen for you to just look at and reflect on for a minute. And this painting affected him very deeply. In fact, the whole book is a reflection on the painting and the biblical story of the prodigal son. One of the things that deeply moved him is the question, where do I stand or sit or kneel in this painting? Who am I in the story? And he writes this. He says, As I reflected on my journey, I became more and more aware of how long I have played the role of observer. For years, I had instructed students on the different aspects of the spiritual life, trying to help them see the importance of living it. But had I myself really ever dared to step into the center, kneel down, and let myself be held by a forgiving God? That's the penetrating question. That's the penetrating question. Simple fact of being able to express an opinion, to set up an argument, to defend a position, to clarify a vision, has given me and gives me still a sense of control. And generally, I feel much safer in experiencing a sense of control over the undefinable situation than in taking the risk of letting that situation control me. Generally, I feel safer when I'm in control. Generally, I like the situation better when I am analyzing, when I am defining, when I am describing, 
And this challenge comes to me, as I hope it comes to you this morning. Because you see, what we're called to do is to take a posture, as in that painting, of one who is kneeling and contrite, humbled, and releasing of all control, to experience the Father's love, the Father's gifts, the Father's inspiration. All of this will be so much talk until you and I posture ourselves to receive. Just for a moment, think about this image. Jesus breathed on them. That's a little intimate, don't you think? You ever been in a social setting, you know, and you're talking? It's like, whoa, you're too close. Back up. I can feel you breathing on me. Jesus breathed on them. There's an intimacy. There's a closeness. There's a peculiar closeness. There's an almost, almost anxious closeness in what's described here, and that's what we need to give ourselves to. That's what we need to say, God, I am but a clay thing, and I need your life for my sake and for the world's sake. Breathe on me. Would you close your eyes? And would you open your heart to God? And would you tell him that you are kneeling, that your heart is open, that your life is available? to be inspired by His Spirit. Do you have the courage this morning to invite that gift of breath, of spirit, of inspiration for your own sake and for the world's? Be inspired. Welcome the breath of God this morning. Lord, your ways are wonderful and mysterious. Your promises are exciting and raise so many questions for us. Your purposes in this world to be king, to redeem and save, to recreate, to bring peace and joy and glory to your name. These are promises that make our hearts run fast and our minds ask far too many questions. Lord God, help us to be your humble children. Help us to find a contrite posture. Help us to, to kneel in your presence in our very selves so that we can receive from you, God. We are a well-heeled people. We are smart. We are in so many ways in the world's measure, secure. We are so well resourced and so lost without you. Lord, you have called us home. Lord, you welcome us with an embrace. Lord, you've commissioned us to great and greater things. Breathe on us, breath of God. Fill us with your spirit. Teach us what it means to know this spirit in our very lives and to grow us in fellowship with him. Father, have your way. 
pour out your grace, lift up our lives, and inspire the church of Jesus Christ. For the glory of his name, amen. We're going to keep talking on this theme in weeks to come. We're going to talk about what it means to hear the voice of the Spirit, what it means to uh, experience aspects of this journey and this walk, and what it means to, to live with the Spirit as not some sort of optional extra, but the very heart of what it means to be alive in Christ. It's very interesting to note that although the disciples received the Spirit in this moment, they still locked the room for the next meeting when Thomas came. They were still learning, still growing, still flourishing. And then there's a time a little later when the Spirit comes. We'll explore it in a few weeks. And their hearts were so amazingly changed. Don't think for a moment that it's all about mirroring someone else's expectations or following someone else's pattern or some specific thing is supposed to happen. I don't have a clue what's supposed to happen for you except this. You'll come to know how much God loves you. You'll come to experience his peace and joy. You'll know his commissioning. You'll feel empowered to do it. And your life will matter. Your actions will make a difference. And your world will align with God's kingdom. And he will be glorified.